Hello, hello, my loves, and welcome to another episode of Cocktail Conversations with Shannon. How y'all doing? It's been an interesting week. We'll talk all about it. Let's start off (laughs) with the Grammys. The Grammys were different this year, of course, because of COVID. They were pushed back. Normally, they're like in February. Um, They were pushed back, and they did this combination format of almost like a little luncheon where the awards were given. And then they did the performances on closed sound stages with multiple artists that sort of, they turned the camera around and you could see the multiple performances. Like I noticed it more starkly with the country artists. I liked it. Is it bad that I'm like, oh, well, the Grammy should stay like this after, you know, after the, the COVID, after the pandemic, once we're in the well times again, the Grammys can stay like that. It was nice to have so many good quality performances. I didn't feel like anybody was really horrible. There was um even the rappers. One of Lil Baby did a chant. He took his opportunity to focus on police brutality. It was like a music video. But I loved that this year's Grammys were more performance heavy. Um yeah, Meg Thee Stallion won an award for Savage. Beyonce literally probably showed up just for that and to win another award. And then she went home early. She came late. She went home early. And it doesn't matter how much fun the Grammys can be. It doesn't matter how good the performances are. Beyonce, because they keep snubbing her in the large categories, I think it's almost like a work luncheon. Any of you who've worked in corporate know that you can work hard all year long, be called for all of these assignments, be called for all of that stuff, be called to do all this work. And then when it's time for the annual awards ceremony thing, big luncheon, big dinner, that it will go to someone who's mediocre, but everyone seems to like, quote, quote. Um, And typically... In the Grammys work luncheon scheme of things, that's like a Taylor Swift, right? Um, Beyonce can literally do backflips and make the most cohesive work of art. And people will still not give her the mainstream categories. So they made a big deal about her being the most awarded woman in history. But most of those are in the segregated ca- categories, right? It's all R&B. It's all uh, soul you know, she made maybe one award in the mainstream category, which is for single ladies a long time ago. But she gets snubbed for album of the year, even when she had like Lemonade and uh, self-titled and now Black Parade. All of these huge, huge, huge uh, projects that she's done that are critically acclaimed and beloved don't get the big prizes. But but the Grammys are, are sketch. You know, The weekend, whether you like him or you find him slightly demonic like I do, had a really big year last year. He had an album that was very popular. He had songs that were, he had songs that were really popular, unavoidable, and he got completely shut out of the awards. I mean, he didn't even get a nomination for a single. He didn't get a nomination for anything in any category. And it's, I'm, none of us really know the logic of the nominations and the wins, then, of course, we are forced to deal with, yet again, because this seems to happen every year, um, a category in which a black artist seems to be the person that everyone thinks should get it, and then the popular white artist gets it. 
Um, and that person gets up and says that they shouldn't have won it, that the black artist should have got it. And what, what are we supposed to do with that? So in this year, you know, Adele did that a few years back. It was kind of funny because it was Beyonce, right? Like, you know, Adele just being a beehive member, basically this time it got like, Oh, this, this is going to happen again. So, um, Billie Eilish beat Megan the stallion for like, I don't think it was artist of the year, but I think it was like song of the year. Something, something very, very, very like the mainstream category. Billie Eilish won, got up and, and basically said Megan had the year. Megan had the kind of year that every artist dreams of. I don't deserve this. Megan deserves this. What are we supposed to do with that? You know how many times black people know that they deserved or they worked harder or that they should have won or that they should have gotten or that they should have, you know, all things being equal, they probably would have beat you. What are we supposed to do with this? The Academy's not changing. They're not giving your award to her. They're not sharing it because you said that. I mean, it's nice that you acknowledged it. But at the same time, it's like, what What are any of us supposed to do? The Academy is doing what it does and what it consistently does. I do want to talk about the performances. Um, Dua Lipa... Is just adorable. I love her songs. That's all I have to say about it. She's very pretty. Uh, <laughs> Taylor Swift basically performed in a magical campsite. I don't really ever care for her songs, to be quite honest. But I do think she's an excellent songwriter. But it was just funny that she came out and the first thing I thought was beautiful gowns, gorgeous gowns, because the dress was nice and it was like a magical enchanted campground. You know, there's so many things that you can do in one of these COVID performances versus everyone being on a large stage where we all have to wait on things to be set up and torn down. So so the performances had a lot more energy and a lot more um, set and props and, and it was it was fun, right? So... The country artist was interesting because we got to finally see Mickey Guyton perform on a stage worthy of her voice. So for those of you who are not privy or don't notice country or, you know, whatever, uh, Mickey Guyton is an African-American country singer and she's been out for years. But because there's a history in this nation, for those of you who don't know, of music being segregated and uh, you get your race music, which turns into what we see now as modern day R&B, soul, blues, um, gospel, all of those things where the black people are still to this day. And then you've got what was originally called hillbilly music, which is country and bluegrass and all those sorts of things. I wonder if Zydeg, where does Zydeco fall? It's a good question, but that's not the point. The, the racism that informed music of yesterday still kind of is is still the guiding post for what we see now. They just have named it R&B and country and not hillbilly and race music, right? But so the race lines are still there. And so it is very uncommon for us to see an R&B singer that is white because once they sing like us, they get to be pop. <laughs> um, and it's also very, very, very rare to see an R&B, uh, a country singer that is black. You got Jadarius Rucker. Um, was it Charlie Pride back in the day? And and now we've got Mickey Guyton. And so she has been able to sing and perform her song. Um, and it's, I guess, a controversial song in, in country called Black Like Me. And it's about really the black experience 
that she's having as an American and as a country singer. Um, voice is beautiful. Voice is beautiful. Wig needed to be plucked. And she looked like Drew Sidora. But beautiful voice. And it was nice to see that that small bit of diversity in the music. Um, I, I did a little digging and read an article or two. And they were saying that she, she really has an uphill battle because she has the voice. She has an amazing voice for country. And, and some of these station directors are not playing her music because their fans are racist and they don't want to hear it. So they'll either not play her music or they'll play her music in the middle of the night. So they can say, well, we played it. We're just not getting any requests for it during the, the big hours. But the truth is a lot of country fans are probably not hearing her songs to even have an opinion on it in the first place. So it's just something to think about that, that the music industry for as much hand-wringing and um, concerns about liberals and conservatives and all that stuff it's still a very conservative place because it's trying to appease the masses. And as long as the masses say they're racist or sexist or whatever, the music industry is going to follow suit. Let's, uh, let's dive into the real performance. So all night they were teasing. Cardi and Megan are going to perform WAP. It's the first time they've ever performed it on TV because the song is very raunchy. We've talked about this. So they wait until 10 o'clock. You don't know. Remember back in the day, NYPD Blue would have like a little bit of a butt cheek appear and it was like a huge deal but everybody was like well it's at 10 o'clock so your children should know not to be watching NYPD Blue. So they did this with WAP. Megan and Cardi sort of split the performance in half. They did some you know Megan did some of her numbers. Great. She looked beautiful. Choreography. Um, you know it was like 1920s very Harlem Renaissance sort of themed for her solo stuff. Cardi comes out and does a little bit of up when it's stuck and it's up and it's stuck. The costume Cardi had on was like this futuristic metal number. Things look good when you're standing still, but when you dance, her motions were so restricted by this outfit. You know, now she got that fake booty. It just looked like it took all her inner strength to drag that wagon in this metal costume. So that, you know, the choreography was an issue. However, uh, I was thoroughly entertained. So then they get together, they do WAP. <laughs> and I was laughing because, I, you know, the sen I don't always understand the logic of censoring because, of course, I understand blocking profanity. I understand blocking slurs. But they were blocking words that I was like, wait, they blocked out the word bucket? They blocked out dangly? <laughs> They blocked out. Um, they blocked out words that are in. Were, I guess kind of. I don't know. I just didn't understand why bucket got blocked, but not mop. I just. <laughs> I don't understand the logic of the censorship. But so they censored a lot of the words. I mean, the majority of the words were just sort of like bleep 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 bleep. So that part of it, then the choreography was a little raunchy. They got out of bed and kind of did a little, you know, sapphic role play, uh, you know, a little thrust and a little rolling. And, you know, people who were like, oh my God, my children are watching this with me. 
you know, the, the, you know, the, I'm sure there's been calls. There's been people, you know, Candace Owens, who I think is slightly attracted to Cardi B because she's very concerned about what she does with her vagina is ranting, um, ranting, 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 ranting about it. You know, the Republicans are always up in an uproar. Anytime a woman looks like she wants to have sex voluntarily, the Republicans seem to get on Twitter and just lose their minds. But so it was, it was a performance. Listen, let me tell you the truth. As a, as a person who keeps up with music and sings and all that stuff, the rap girls are killing it because look at how much more they have to do than their male peers. When's the last time you've seen a rap male singer do full choreography, full costumes, full everything, and then get the level of scrutiny that these girls are doing. So no, I'm not going to shade them. You can complain about the performance, but everything in our lives are not for your children. And I say that as a person who, when I was a child, spent many a time with my hand, with my face covered behind my mother's hand. Everything was her just covering my face. We're going to turn this off. We'll come back. Um, <laughs> you know, she might complain a little bit, but the truth was if they've been saying for literally two hours this is going to be a performance of a song called Wet Ass Pussy. Wop, 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 or as I call it in my home, worship and praise. If, if they've been teasing it all day and you think that that subject matter is maybe too much for your household and too much for your kids, just turn it off. Ain't no performance going to be more than like, hmm, 10 minutes. Switch, cut, turn to Nickelodeon, turn back. And I'm not saying that to say everything should be on TV and anything should go. I'm saying that to say, don't get your blood pressure up because the rest of the world is not protecting your family and your household and your virgin eyes. You do it. You say, no, kids, we're going to turn it off. And let me tell you, these kids know a lot more than some of y'all think they do. That's a whole different conversation. I'm not going to take it there. Um, but yeah. And now what I did find interesting is that going back to Dua Lipa, who I think is really cool, uh, their costumes were pretty much like hers. Like she, she had like a big, pretty pink costume. Then she kind of tore off another piece and tore off another piece. And then it turned into one of those bikini numbers. And she was rolling on the ground and doing a little bit of the crybaby. And I didn't hear anybody crybaby about that because Dua Lipa is extremely model thin. But once there's black skin and big behinds, all of a sudden it's vulgarity. And I'm not saying that the performances are equal because, of course, the song content is way different between WAP and, and any of Dua Lipa's songs, right? But the dance moves were just as suggestive once she got in that little bikini. It's just that she didn't have nothing to really shake and twerk with it. So I'm just saying question a little bit of that as well. All right, let's talk about the cuss heard around the world, or at least heard around the gospel world. Kirk Franklin, uh, gospel extraordinaire of the 90s and 2000s, is in a bitter feud with his oldest son, Carrion. Um, those of you who are older remember that he and his wife both had children prior to their marriage, and then they have children together. Carrion is his, and then I think she had a daughter named Kennedy that he adopted. Um, so that's their family structure. And, and they used to always have like pictures and things like that with Carrion. And we know that in the last few years, Carrion has said that he and his father are feuding. They don't get along. They don't talk. He feels excluded from the family. They haven't really got into the nuts and bolts of what has caused this feud. I don't know. 
But we do know that it is a solid feud between father and son. Carrion released uh, audio last, was it last week or earlier this week? I'm losing track of my life. But Carrion released some audio recently um, that had a profanity-laced tirade from Kirk Franklin to his son. Um, I'm not going to play the audio on this because it ain't hard to find. It's literally on the boy's Instagram account. Um, but also it's, um, I have lots of thoughts about them and they're all mixed. I have lots of opinions and they're all confused and mixed. Kirk Franklin came after the audio was released and the audio is like a person that is clearly angry. There's another person listening in on the phone and they kind of start chuckling. Kirk calls him like a bitch ass says I should break your neck. I'm tired of being disrespected by you. Mind you, we don't get any, um, we don't get a lead in. Like it is mostly like a short snippet of the tirade of the language. And carry on sort of captions that he feels threatened. He feels endangered. He feels harmed. He feels hurt that his dad talks to him this way. Carry on custard him back. So, but it is a short snippet. So we don't actually know what was said that made Kirk feel disrespected. We don't know um, the lead in to the tirade. Okay. Cause, cause just the snippet was there. I have mixed opinions about everything. First of all, Kirk Franklin son is 33 years old. I am blessed that I have grown up in a family that didn't cuss me out. Really? My grandma, she really cussed me out, but she definitely cussed at me. And grandpa, you know, I, I come from some cusses. Only my mother was not a curse. My mother never really profaned much at all. She did not like dirty language. Um, so I didn't really grow up being cussed out the way a lot of people have been bragging about being cussed out. You know, I jokingly said, if you didn't get cussed out, are you grown at all? But a lot of us, I really didn't. You know, grandma got with me once. But for the most part, my parents did not curse at me nobody talked to me like I was their enemy or like I was a, a, a heifer off the street they were mad at like I didn't have that kind of language in my life and in my dynamics with my parents have we argued oh yeah have we had it out oh yes so let's not I'm not being cute like we don't argue no we we have done all of that right but um the vitriol and profanity is not something that I experienced as a child or even as a young adult so ever really so I am hard pressed to say that it's okay that Kirk cussed at his son like that right however I'm not a perfect person and I have not had a child and I can't guarantee I wouldn't cuss out a grown person for any reason so I'm not so I'm not on some sort of high horse about it <laughs> I'm also not here, okay, so let me detail. My issues are not necessarily with Kirk Franklin and his son. I wish them healing eventually. I wish them peace. I wish them boundaries. Because at a certain point, you need to say, I'm not talking to you when you get me at this point. I'm not going to let myself get to this point with you. I'm going to hang up. I'm going to disengage. And I hope they get to a point of peace. There's a conversation about them going to counseling and who hasn't gone to counseling. Uh, Kirk's other children are weighing in to defend him. And they call their brother rude, disrespectful, in need of money, all that stuff. I don't know the nuts and bolts of it. Um, what is apparent is that Carrion is really hurt. 
hurt people hurt people. And I think that's why he released this audio. Kirk Franklin released a statement or like a little video, you know, doing the soft saved whisper apology. I'm not, I'm not your family, Kirk. You don't really owe me no apologies. First of all, I'm not going to cancel Kirk Franklin because he got mad at a grown person. I mean, we can, yeah, I'm not going to cancel Kirk Franklin. Here's my, here's my overall issue. My issue is not even necessarily their family dynamics. My issue is the way people are reacting to it. Right. So, um, it concerns me that we are all as a society, as a culture, as, as so-called Christians, so comfortable with such harsh language and harsh interactions in the family structure. Like what we heard between Kirk and his son should not feel normal to us. It should be disturbing. It should not be normal to hear a father and son F you, you know, I should break your neck and calling each other bitch asses. Like we really should not be comfortable or feel like, well, that's normal. And my mama talked to me like that. No, that's, that should be abnormal. That should not be comfortable. And we need to question why that's okay or why that's so common. You know, and I'm seeing some people, that's right. Cuss them kids out. Sometimes they disrespectful. Sir, ma'am, your child is in the third grade. You should not be comparing the language that Kirk Franklin used with a 33-year-old with the language you are using with the baby who doesn't know his six times tables. I need you to back up. I need you to I need you to stop, okay? So that's that that was the main concern that I had. It's like why why are we so like, oh yeah, we all got cussed out. No, we haven't. No. We shouldn't all be cussed out. We shouldn't all be at this point with our family dynamics in which you just got to cuss people out like they a hoe off the street. Like, no, let's let's interrogate that for ourselves, right? Also, let me tell you what we're not going to do. This question of whether Kirk Franklin or his son or anybody else is really saved. Personally, I know y'all cussing. We all, I grew up Baptist. I knew the deacons cuss. They all cuss. Lots of deaconesses had reasons to cuss. That does not mean that they didn't love the Lord or believe in God or any of the things that actually merit Christianity. But I also hate that y'all do this because y'all do this about everything. Somebody will post a, a Bible verse, an interpretation of scripture or this or that, their opinion. And then someone else will say, I don't agree with that interpretation of scripture or I don't believe that or we should question that. And here comes the, well, you must not really be saved, police. And I need you to know that you're not in charge of determining who's, in, who's really anything. Whether that person identifies as a Christian or not, whether this person says, I believe in Christ, the way they believe in Christ, the way they interpret scripture, whether they cuss every once in a while, whether they have a little liquor, that's up to the, the, the Holy Spirit, if you really read in your word, is supposed to convict people, not you in your opinion. Okay? Because a lot of y'all been wrong. Y'all been calling good, evil, and evil good for years anyway. Loving the prophet, loving the bishop, they robbing you blind. Loving this person, they molesting your children. So you don't get to decide who's really saved. You must not really be saved or mm-mm. sweep around your own front door, baby. So no, we're not going to question whether or not Kirk Franklin or anybody else in his family is, quote, really saved because they popped off at the mouth because you should just stop doing that in general. Okay, stop that. 
But the whole thing made me sad in general. I mean, admittedly, I'm trash because I did listen to the audio and I giggled because Kirk Franklin's profanity sounds just like the intro to Stomp. It sounded like a deacon. It sounded like I was supposed to, like, I, he cussed me out and I immediately was like, I've been down so long. I've been hurt for so long. Like, it felt like he still has the same voice for everything. So <laughs> I laughed because where they do that at? Where? It was funny. But notwithstanding, it's still very sad. And I, I wish healing, I wish wellness, I wish wholeness and proper boundaries for the son. And I don't really know what's up with the son. I don't know if he's got some issues. I don't know if he has mental health issues. I don't know. But I still think uh, I find it sad when families can't get along. Wishing y'all hope and peace, Kirk Franklin family. And carry on, son. Just wishing y'all some... Yeah, y'all can be, yes, that ain't no way to live. So we're going to take a short break. I'll be back with my guest, Ashley Clark. She wants to talk to us about finance and money and talking to our kids about it and some very cool products that her company, Sense to Sense, have come up with so that we can aid our families in learning more about money. So we're going to take a short break and I'll be right back. Welcome back. I am here with my guest, Ashley Clark. She's going to uh, hopefully educate and calm my nerves down about finances and money and things of that nature. Ashley, introduce yourself to the people and tell everyone what you do. Hi, you all. I am Ashley Clark. I am the CEO and founder of Sense to Sense. I provide tools for parents to teach their children about financial literacy in a fun and exciting way to get the conversation started. I have flashcards, board game books, um, a lot just to help parents get the, get the conversation started. Good, good. Now you're talking about parents getting the conversation started. I, uh, I will be transparent. I hate talking about money. I hate talking about bills. I hate talking about debt. I like making money. I like right. being able to pay my bills. But as soon as somebody's like, let's talk about money, I get so uncomfortable. So for those of us that are grownups, how do we get past our own discomfort to talking about money and things like that with our kids and our family? Oh, man. And see, it's great that I'm here talking to you because it's people like you who I created since the since for. When I first started Sense to Sense in October of 2018, I initially initially started because I wanted to help at least 10 women change the way that they thought about money. And um, it was just more the money talk. That's how I always coined it as the money talk. I had many people who just weren't sure how to talk about money. Mm-hmm. They weren't sure what to say, if it was okay to say, should I say this, should I not? And so I just wanted a place where people felt okay, you know, to ask questions about money. Um, that you know, so with other people and get information and guidance from others. Yeah. And from there, I started having conversations with the parents. They're like, "Oh God, I wish I had this when I was younger." And so that's how it turned into four kids. This is just four kids. Yeah, yeah. I always feel a lot of like. I know this is weird, but like as I'm thinking about it, I feel a lot of like guilt and shame around money. Just in the right. sense of either you feel like you are not making enough, 
you're not saving enough, you're not spending right. Like there's always this sort of energy of finger wagging <laughs> that when we talk about money right. that I think some right. of us have and, just learned not to talk at all. Yeah. And that's what the thing about it is a lot of us feel that way. A lot of us feel guilt and shame about money, but you're not alone. You are not alone is the conversation I like to have with people. They're, they're, I mean, I, I wish we knew how much each of us had, you know, something going on. I had yeah. a question about this or what I was doing this or getting some sound advice from somebody, you know, you can trust. And that's the thing about it is when someone gets the information and they're doing well, is they have the same reserve to like, wait. Do I need to talk about this? Or and they're afraid to talk about it because they don't know, like, should I not talk about it because everybody else isn't talking about it? Like, yeah. how should we go about this? And I had a conversation with a friend, and she was like, that's what happens. What happens a lot in our community is if somebody has the information, they are afraid to share it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of kicked me in the eye, like, oh, wait, girl, you know how to do stuff like this. And um, it made a lot of sense because one of my best friends, um, I had just started helping her with her credit and we had never talked about credit. We never talked about budgeting, but yeah. you know, that was one of the things I considered myself, you know, knowing and being able to help people with, but I hadn't shared it with one of my best friends. Mm. Um, so that's when I had to look at myself. Like I'm looking at the, the chick in the mirror, like, Hey girl, it's you, you, you're the one that can help, you know, this generation. Let's go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. And that's how it all started and trickled down from there. How did you get interested in money and finance to begin with? Um, as a little girl, it's, it's crazy now that I get asked this question a lot. As a little girl, I start remembering things that, um, you know, that made, but I'm pretty sure it had an influence on my life. Um, when I was a little girl, like maybe seven or eight, I fell in love with dimes. And I asked my dad for a roll of dimes. And thankfully, one payday, he bought me $10, $10 worth of dimes home in a roll. And I just was so <laughs> excited about it. And it kind of started, that's my earliest memory that I can have with money. Um, from there, it was the economics class at high school. You know, it was me, my parents sent telling me that I couldn't just buy a baby alive doll. I had to budget, and back, that was back then when layaway was a thing. And I had right. to put it on layaway, and I was rolling pennies. So all of that had an influence on me um, from there. Then I went to college, you know, my major, I wanted to be economics. I went to China and studied economics um, over in China. Oh, wow. Because I fell in love with money. And then from there... I became a banker and did that for 11 years until since the sense became my full-time thing. Oh, wow. So you went all the way to China to study finance? Uh, yes, 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 yes. I went to China. I was an economics major, and so it was an economics trip to learn about um, China and their economic system. Um, and as we know, China is one of the greatest in the economic um, department. So that was great to do. That was when I was in college. Uh, let's see. I think it was about 12 years ago now. But it was an amazing experience, you know, to see things from the other side of the world. Right, right. Tell me about, you said you went into banking, and I was reading your bio, um, and you had said that 
when you switch from one neighborhood to the next and that neighborhood was more uh, black and brown, you were surprised by the areas of la- like the lack of knowledge when it came to finance. What kind Ooh. of, <laughs> oh, you sound tired at the, th- <laughs> at the memory. <laughs> Tell me, what kind of um, questions were you getting? What, what knowledge was it that was lacking? Um, the questions I was getting is like, hey, this I had I spent fifteen thousand dollars on this credit card because at the credit union that I was at, they were very gracious in giving people large amounts of credit cards. Wow. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's a whole different story. But um, <laughs> I would get people like, hey, I'm I, this I pay I keep paying twenty five dollars a month, but this thirteen thousand dollar balance is not going down. Yeah. Or, hey, I had one guy came in really upset. And he, this was the first flashcard that I came up with was the word dividend. He came in the bank and he's mm. like, y'all are taking my money. Y'all are taking my money. I'm like, oh, gosh, no. Well, let me see your statement. Show me where. And he pointed out, look, Divadine, Divadine. Oh. And I was like, no, this is dividends. We're giving you money because you're checking account earns interest and on no that clue. day I realized how easily that could have been a different situation a different conversation if he knew what a dividend was and how a dividend worked you know and that's when from there I told my friends that y'all was like hey I'm going to start I'm going to start writing words down that need to be uh, we hear a lot and people don't understand and then I started teaching it to my children and from there um, it kind of took off but yeah questions like that just simple things where I was at like I said I was at a different bank different area different demographic and people were coming in like I've had an 18 year old come in she's like I have she wanted a loan her credit was like 802 and she was 18 years old because her parents had already added her to their cards when she was like 12, 12 years old. Right. So, she, you know, she had that good credit showing up for her. So she got one of the lowest interest rates because her parents, you know, did that for her. And they were able to set her up for an advantage. Right. That they set her up. Her peers and even whose when parents. She got a, wow. Wow. Right. <laughs> even when she got approved, she was like, oh, gosh, that's too much. Can I have less? You know, like she, she, she was, she knew that, you know, she had to do go with what's in her budget. She knew to look at the interest rate. Whereas a lot of times when I was in the new bank, we were just happy that we got our approval without looking at the numbers, without seeing how much we were spending on the lower end, on the, on the end, you know, totality of it all. Yeah. Why do you think our communities, because as you're, as you're talking about it and that ties in with your your current business, you know, I can't teach my kid about certain things if I don't know it, you know? Right. And, and, and that perpetuates, like a lot of us have literally a savings or, you know, rolls of pennies at the house and right. we've been saving, like, you know, and there's a lot of that, but we're not, if I don't know how to grow my money, I can't teach my children. So why do you think our communities lack that knowledge? I, I, we like that knowledge because we don't know, you know, we don't, like you said, we don't, I don't know how, how am I going to teach you if I don't know how, mm-hmm. um, a lot, how am I going to teach you if I do not know how, you know, is the thing many parents are doing. And that's why I find joy in the flashcards because I try to make it everything as simple as possible. 
So if you read it, you're like, oh, okay, this this is this is what's going on. Like a credit inquiry, uh, you know, this is this, and you know, we're talking about credit. So parents, and that's the best thing is I have a lot of parents say. I'm learning so much as well. Mm. And that's why I wanted it to be a family thing. Like, hey, we're going to learn together. We're going to play this board game together and realize how credit is going to affect us, you know. And um, that's family is the key. Family and fun are the key things that I looked at when creating products. Is because, like you said, we can learn together, you know, as a family. And then once we learn the family, like, Holgate, you know, your kids have seen, you've seen me teach my child and tell me what you know. And I'm working on other things so that we can have more conversation, you know, with friends and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and make it okay to talk about money, trying to change the narrative for that. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of times, you know, I'm thinking historically even, you know, so many things we as African-Americans and I'm sure uh, our brown and other minority groups, we were systematically kept from up until right. like, the last maybe 80, 100 years so right. we have a we're right. literally playing catch up in terms of our knowledge and finances and technology and all those things because so many things we were systematically kept from. So right. you know, grandma didn't know, great grandparents definitely didn't know. The mattress was their right, savings right. account. But that's like um why I'm saying is that, you know, like now I know land that my great grandmother we have family no no land that my great grandmother, you know, bought and built a home on my grandmother mm-hmm. lived to be 100 years old she third i mean she i had the pleasure of you know knowing her this lifetime and um to know what we go through now in order to buy land in mm-hmm. order to buy a house you know that it has to be hard so that's why my family we're having the conversation like hey what are we going to do with this how are we going to make sure that we keep grandma's house we keep grandma's land we're mm-hmm. staying on the taxes we're making sure that things are, um, you know, taken care of because now I believe um, our generation as now, there are more people paying attention to their finances, mm-hmm. to generational wealth. And there could be a great, strong, you know, we go from generational lack to generational wealth in this lifetime. In our generation, it can be done because now we are paying attention and we want to know more. It's as easy and accessible as a book, as a board game, as some flashcards, you know, on the internet that, you know, you could get to just start gradually introducing these kind of conversations into your family. Good. What ages would you suggest your games and your activities? What, what you know, if somebody's <laughs> listening, they have kids or nieces and nephews and godchildren. What age brackets are your products for? You know, when I first started, I had an age, I was like, let's just go ahead and say six and up. But um, on my Instagram, I recently put, there's a four-year-old who has a flashcard, and he's explaining what a salary is. He's explaining what credit is. Um, So I say from now, since I saw him talk, I say four and up. But there are parents that know their child and know what their child, you know, can do. Mm -hmm. I I don't like to limit it by age because our children, um, you know, they once we start teaching them, it's amazing the information that they know. The information, a lot of the information that we thought they just had to know, ABCs, one, two, threes, we were teaching them. But we don't, we didn't, you know, realize that financial literacy lessons were something that they needed to know. Mm -hmm. So now when we are incorporating, we're realizing how much that they can learn are able to learn 
and you know even recite back to us or even explain like hey ma you know you need to borrow this you gonna owe me some interest or I need to do this <laughs> i mean when i used to have classes as a class, the kids were like, you know, my baby got in the car and asked me, car and asked me what my credit score was. Ah! I was like, you know what? <laughs> um, but even, you know, small conversations like that where, you know, our children are thinking about what it is that, you know, we as parents are doing. It's going to reflect in what they're doing. They're going to see once you're in the store like, oh, my, are you pressing a credit card or a debit card? Oh, so you own borrow some money for that and pay it right back, or right. you taking that straight out of your checking account? It's all the kind of conversations that people are saying that they're having with their children. I believe that that's that's what we need, you know, to have the money talk to start talking about it and make it okay, make it the basics. Um, especially, like I say, a lot of times we think about in schools, like can we teach this in school, like. How can we teach this in school? You know, when can we teach this in school? I mean, it'd be great if every school, every child had, you know, a financial literacy basis, you know, mm-hmm. to start from as we reached out until, as we say, the real world. But I say if we don't have it, we let's, let's create it in our household. Mm-hmm. Let's like, make the money talk, a, you know, a thing in our household so that they don't have to go to school and learn it. As we know, a lot of lessons that, our brown and black and brown children are not learning in school at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say if you're depending on the school system to teach your child everything they need to know, your child will not know everything they need to know. Yes, because, because they don't want us to know everything. Imagine if they did know anything. We did know everything, and we were making smart money, money choices. They'd be, they'd be mad at us. The banks and these big companies would be mad at us if we were making sure our children knew how to make the right, you know. Well, look at what just happened with the the GameStop. Listeners, if you're not familiar with what happened recently, there was a group of, what are they on, Reddit or one of these, decided to... Right, yes, Reddit. Yeah, to be... Now, listen, I'm not a money person, so I may be saying this all wrong, but they, (laughs) they decided to sort of play with the way the market worked, and they increased... Game stocks because it's all sort of like elaborate gambling, right? So they pushed right. Game stock up in value, and all of the actual, you know, brokerages and real, you know, stock market people kind of lost a lot of money, and they got all their money <laughs> through it. Right. They manipulated the system, so they learned the rules and learned how to manipulate it. And then once that happened people started changing rules and trying to stop them from trading. And uh, what was it, Robinhood, which is like the most, one of the most popular. Right, yeah, so Robinhood, one of the quick ones where you can do it like on your phone um, and get, you know, and, and get your stock. And that's what they did. They drove it up by people saying, okay, supply and demand, we want it, we want it, we want it. And they drove up that value to people where some people were able to cash out. Other people were not. They, they, they didn't have that same love. They were on the other end of the stick, you know. So it's it's a it's definitely it's definitely tricky. Um, and a lot of people did. When I saw one girl, a little girl, I think she won like she got like sixty thousand based off that trade. Mm-hmm. And other people um, didn't have that same success. Yeah, I saw one little boy. I think his parents got him like. A very low amount of stocks for his birthday like years ago maybe two years ago it was like 20 50 something pretty standard in terms of the price you would spend on a birthday gift and then now it's worth like ten thousand dollars for him 
Right. Um, right. Right. But notice how they had to learn the rules in order to manipulate the rules. Then the rules changed when they won. Um, right. 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 So, so that's it's you know a whole different conversation. But at the same time, <laughs> it's a valuable right. thing to learn because I don't remember learning about stocks really at all in high school. Oh, you're not at all. That's something I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I didn't learn about it in high school. We never had a conversation. We never had a budgeting conversation or any of that. And that's one of the most important things uh, is the budget because I know most people said that. I think the rate is like 67% of people said they use uh, they do not use algebra in their everyday lives, but we're required by most schools to take an algebra class. Mm -hmm. Whereas budgeting, finance is something that we have to deal with daily. Yeah. Algebra and geometry, but I've never used, and I enjoy geometry. I've never quite solved for X. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, the crazy thing, I worked at a bank uh, probably about four or five years ago. Well, it had to be longer than that. And I saw my geometry teacher, and I was like, hey, all that stuff you said we had to learn because we would need it when we adults, I never used any of it. And he just looked at me and started laughing. I was like, no, wait, I'm serious. Right. For real. At the same time, he's Crazy. like, what can I do about it? This is what they tell me I have to teach uh -huh. you. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. That is tricky. But it's true. I recently um, got my real estate license. And in Florida, there's a lot of math that you have to do to get your license. And I freaked out immediately because I am not a math oh, girl. Oh, no. Not a math girl at all. Yeah. But it's so interesting because there is so m much that goes into, okay, if you want to get a home, if you want to qualify for this, you need to know how to do these calculations. And it's nice if you have right. someone who can do this, but at the same time, you can figure some of this stuff out for yourself, your taxes, your this, your that. Never learned right, it in right. school. Never ever. Yeah, I know in Georgia, in Georgia, the math is uh gives a lot of people um some hiccups um <laughs> when it comes to the real estate test. Um, but I mentioned you said you said one thing you said I'm not a math girl, and um it's a young lady named Brittany that Brittany that I met on social media, and I've done some lives with her. She's changing that narrative for a little girl. She has a company called Black Girl Math Jig where she helps children, you know, little girls, not all girls, you know, not just any black, but um, that it's okay to talk about money. You, I mean, math, it's okay yeah. to have fun and learn about math. She's helping um, girls get math confidence because, again, as with finances, a lot of people don't just don't like math. Yeah. That is another hurdle because, you know, I, I'm very verbal. I had no problem with the English. I had no problem with that math. It was like, and I never failed, by the way. Like, I, I got, like, Bs. But at the same time, it was the place I had the least amount of confidence. And I think it just sort of right. nosedived into you don't do math. Right. Um, yeah, I, I definitely feel, I definitely understand that. Because I know in high school, I was like, oh, geography. And then when we got to college, it's like, oh, statistics. Uh. Math is what knocked me out of being a marketing major. I was originally going to do marketing. And then I had to take oh, uh, wow. economics. And I took that first economics, it was like macro. Maybe macro, oh, boy. whichever one's the one, you know, supply and demand and a graph and a Y and an X. And, yep, that's macro on a larger scale. And mm -hmm. I ran to my uh, advisor and was like, if this is what I have to do to market to people, I need to just figure out another 
major. Like I, I major. Yeah, it it it. Yeah, I ended up being a mass comm major because <laughs> I was like, oh, oh wow. I can't. This is more than I can do math wise. Um, yeah, that that test freaked me out, and I ran. We're uncovering a lot of my math trauma today. This is not supposed to be. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> Tell me I'm about. I'm happy to be here to assist with Thank that. you. You're my math therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about being an entrepreneur. I saw that you officially started your business after you had been diagnosed with a chronic illness. Tell me about that. And what was it about that experience that pushed you to being a full-fledged uh, business owner? Well, I started the business in April of 2019. I started getting ill in July of 2019. So three months later is when I got sick. Um, and then five months later is when I was finally diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Um, a lot of that came from my mother crying that day. She was like, oh, God, the doctor says you might not be able to work again. And I told her, I was like, Ma, I haven't been able to really push this business like I envisioned. Mm-hmm. If I, when I get out of this hospital, I'm not going to have to work anymore because I'm going to have this business that's going to thrive. Mm-hmm. And uh, wild enough, I knew I wanted to do a board game, but all the ideas for the board game came to me in a hospital bed. Mm. So it's all like divine timing. I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. I guess I couldn't have do anything else, but I could think. And that's when I came to some ideas like, hey, we need a credit spinner. We need to go credit so the kids can know how credit affects them. Um, and a lot of what I do now is because that day, September 3rd, 2019, you know, feeling like I was at a low, like not knowing where to go. And I just knew in my heart that I would get better. And if I got better, that I had to make the best of it. So I got the opportunity. So that's just what I'm doing. Yeah. Just, yeah, you had to push yourself. And a lot of times when you face things like that, it's like it's literally time to to live your life and do what you want to do. Oh, wow. Exactly. I just posted something on Facebook. Like, after September 3rd, 2019, that's when everything I do is are things that I want to do. Like, you know, I thought about, like, what kind of impact would I have on the world, you know, when I didn't know what was going on. Like, if I'm going to die, like, what are people going to say about me, you know? Mm. What legacy am I leaving for my children? Like, why didn't I ever go and dye my hair red like I wanted to? Ooh. Why didn't I do this or why didn't I do this you know just small things like that as I always tell people when I was in the hospital bed I didn't think about what anybody else wanted for me I thought about things that I wanted for myself and I knew I wanted to have a bigger impact so that's why I go hard every day that is so important for people who everyone to hear whether you have had an illness or a life-changing experience or not like there's a time especially you know for us as black people and black women in particular, where almost everything you do is filtered through the lens of how other people will accept you. And so you don't always ask yourself purely what you want. It's, well, will people think I'm this? Or will people, you know, even our, you know, my biggest complaint is that I'm always like, as a black woman, have you ever chosen your hair without thinking about other people? 
Exactly, exactly. When I have locks, so when I started uh, working at the last credit union, and I was hired, and I asked my manager, like, did you ever have any reserve about hiring me because because of my hair? And he was like, no, why? I was like, because there are people that would have had a reserve, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of had to say, like, oh, let me pin my hair back, and I look too, not look too natural, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, That type of thing, you know, that definitely slows us down a little bit and we gotta we have to start living we only have one life you know my struggle introduced me to my strength Mm. and i'm just you know trying to make the best of it i love it and good we wish you wellness as well um thank you i ask all entrepreneurs what advice would you give someone who is thinking about taking a leap and starting their own business my biggest advice is advice that helped me get through that um, my illness. That first year of my business is I had business. I had done network marketing. I had t-shirt companies. I've always had. I'm an entrepreneur, so I've always had something gotcha. going on. I sold sneakers. So I told myself this time, if you start, you have to commit to 18 months. Mm. No matter what, you are not going to give up on this business. And it's wild enough as the one time when I was ill and bed bound is those that commitment to myself kept me, you know, to keep pushing. Like I couldn't I couldn't allow myself to give up because I told myself this time I wouldn't give up. I didn't say, you know, if you find out you have a chronic illness or anything, you know, crazy. I just said I wouldn't give up no matter what. So it kept me strong bound so find something you enjoy enough to push through for at least 18 months at that 18 months you realize you know how much you've grown you won't you I, I you'll know that that's your thing that's good advice and that's you know speaking as someone who always has you know I'm a Sagittarius so I'm always coming up with a new idea and then I'm like all right I'm done oh me too me too mm-hmm. December 21st oh I'm December 2nd yay it's always oh, nice wow. to be okay so you know I'm always coming with a new thing that after a while I'm like oh man this ain't this ain't moving as fast as I want like I have to my you know you're preaching to me too because that's been the interesting thing about the the podcast was like the first advice that I got was like don't look at your numbers put out an episode every week just keep going right. because it takes time for people to even know you have a product. Right, it doesn't necessarily right, mean that people right. don't like what you're doing or that what you're doing isn't good enough. It's that I think people are so inundated with information and with, you know, Instagram is pretty much a shopping mall now. And, and there's just so many right. products and things to listen to. And it takes people a minute to parse through that to even find you. And so sometimes you have to give the audience time to come to you versus feeling like people don't like what you're doing or, or right. And I think we criticize we criticize ourselves a lot harder than others criticize us mm-hmm. too. They're like, "Wake up, we were listening, you know, and we heard about it." And we're like, "Oh God, no one listen." Or like, "Wait, does anybody know about this?" Like, "Oh gosh, nobody did." Yeah. So I think we are our biggest critiques, and we once we get over ourselves. We can kind of live a little. Mm, that is so true. I've had my friend who listens to the podcast pretty religiously. She always gets on me and she goes, can you be nice to my friend? She's talking about me to me. 
Which, oh, okay. Which is like... Yes, be nice news. Yeah, like, you know, there is a tendency to self-critique really harsh. And she's like, you would not talk to any of your friends the way you talk to yourself. Wow. Wow, that's some solid advice. That's a good friend to have you sit back and look at that. That's true, like, because we often speak a lot into our friends, but don't speak a lot into ourselves, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, we can see that potential in others, but not as so much as ourselves. Because, like I said, we're like our biggest critique. Biggest, we're gonna critique us, and like, girl, they don't, why are you talking like that? Why? And then people are like, girl, what the hell? Any of that, you know? Once you right. bring it up to them. Oh goodness! So that's good advice. Commit to your idea and give people a chance to like it, to find it, to hone it, to perfect it. Don't quit before. Right. Don't you, quit. You know, don't yeah. quit. That's the biggest thing. Um, it's very, it's just, I, when I got diagnosed with MS, I started saying, I started saying, just keep swimming. And I got that from the movie mm. Dory, um, finding Nemo, finding Dory. And I even got, I was in rehab, I had on my arm, just keep swimming, you know, to not give up. Because if you keep putting one foot in front of the other, you will eventually come out of whatever it is you're in, um, to see, you know, to see the better the best that is yet to come i love it i love it do you have anything else you want to share with my listeners no thank you all for listening um i'm on instagram my name is sense s-e-n-s-e -S -E, the number two sense c-e-n-t-s i can be found on instagram facebook that's the same for our website sensesense.com or sensesense.org I would love for you all to come shop so we can continue to have the money talk with our family. And I will have the link to all of that in the description box. And I probably need to get, what's the one shirt? Let me look. I had it saved on my browser. There's a shirt. They have shirts for adults on here too. So it's not Oh, all... that's not in my budget. Our debt ain't cute. That debt ain't cute. And the start the businesses. I love those shirts. Oh, to start the business. Yeah. yeah like I said, we always encourage others. So why not put on your shirt? I know when I first started this business on Instagram, I saw somebody had a post that said to start the business. And I was like, okay, you know, small stuff like that encourages us. Yeah, so there's some stuff on here for us grown-ups as well. So I will share that link in our description box. Check her out. It's very cool products. Thank you so much for being Thank again. you. Thank you so much for having me, Shannon. It was great to talk to you. I appreciate it. Great talking to you. All right, everyone, I want to thank you so much for listening. I want to thank my guest, Ashley Clark, for talking to us about overcoming our anxieties, talking about money so we can help positively affect the next generation. Uh, and thank her personally for trying to help me with my own money anxiety. <laughs> uh, shout out as well. We talked about the Grammys earlier, but I completely forgot to remind y'all that Blue Ivy Carter won her first Grammy. One of, I'm sure, many. It's time for Rumi and Sir to get to work because Blue Ivy is doing it, all right? <laughs> it's always nice. You know, this is a Blue Ivy stand account, so it's always good to see my girl accomplish, achieve, go the extra mile. She's a boss. She's an icon. I love it. So you all have a wonderful week. You can send me an email at cocktailconvo7 at gmail.com. You can leave me a voice memo. The link for that is in the description box wherever you're listening. And I also encourage you to rate and subscribe. Doing that and leaving comments 
helps get the word out, helps us find additional listeners who would enjoy me running my mouth. (laughs) Thanks so much, guys. I hope you have a wonderful week. I love you, babes. Bye. Uh.